Hello and welcome to the Pivot Podcast. The Pivot Podcast. Where we go episode by episode and talk all about the show Friends, the 90s, and everything in between. I'm Natalie. And I'm Tiana. Now let's pivot. Hello, everyone. And welcome to a special episode of the Pivot Podcast. Bonus episode time. Yes, a little extra little amuse-bouche for you, if you will. It is amusing. Quite amusing. Um, So this episode, we decided to ask our audience if you guys would be interested in hearing kind of a take, a little blurb, if you will, on Matthew Perry's memoir, Mm -hmm. which is titled Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. Yeah. So you guys overwhelmingly said yes, all 12 of you that so voted. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good book. It's I'm glad we're talking about it because I we haven't talked too much to each other about what we think on the book. So I, I just want to get your thoughts. It's because uh, I love I loved it. Overall thoughts. It is well written. It's very like. Matthew Perry esque. Mm-hmm. It's it's um yeah. It's just it's really raw. You I, can hear him like his voice inside your head as you're reading it. So much, so much. I like the way he breaks it down. Um, it's it's not the kind of storyline you would expect because he bounces back and forth dif- from different times. I was gonna say that, and I actually was looking at some of the reviews. And he does, and there are some people that are more critical of the the writing style and where it goes chronologically from his early childhood all the way through now, but he breaks in real, like, he breaks up the timeline. He does a timeline jump in between chapters to what is, like, the big point in his life when his appendix bursts. He, like, starts the book off yeah. when his appendix bursts. His, his colon. Or his colon. Sorry, not yeah. his appendix. His colon. Much worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's way much worse. So so he bounces between like the timeline after colon bursting versus like childhood, young 20s, friends, all that. Yeah, post friends. all. So there was only one spot in the book that really started to confuse me. And it was mm-hmm. at the end because he got to the point where it was post friends, but he was kind of back and forth, going back and forth between the the colon bursting incident and being in the hospital Uh and almost dying and and kind of these other times being in rehab so that that kind of got confusing to me but I will say he brings it back together yes he I was I was definitely at some points confused in how many times he went to rehab where he was you know from going to rehab after colon bursting versus rehab prior to that during friends so from that respect, that was the only thing that was a little confusing to me. But I do think that just speaks to the way of like his brain and the way that he thinks. And mm-hmm. like you can tell that he jumps around like he's got these memories and they flash back and he comes forward. And yeah. And I think the thing to remember is that this is not like a New York Times like novel, you guys. Like this no. is this is his truth that he's speaking. And it's so honest and so raw. It's beautiful and I think he does a really great you can tell like his writing he does talk a lot about how he wants to get into 
writing and has gotten into like writing plays, writing screen plays and, and things like that. You can see that in here, how mm-hmm. he, he is a very good writer. He's very talented. So, yeah. And I really like the way that he, he's a good storyteller as mm-hmm. well. And I think that speaks to the actor in him, the comedian in him. He's just a really good storyteller. The, the comedian, like there are so many, if you if you don't know Matthew Perry and you don't know his work, like you are probably not going to pick up on some of the nuanced mm-hmm. things and some of the like sarcastic statements, which were sprinkled in. And I loved so, so much. So it was well. definitely stream of thought sometimes, which I liked. Yeah. And I didn't know, but Lisa Kudrow does the forward. Yes. He seems, I don't know if you got this, but he seems to have the best or the closest tie to Lisa Kudrow. I would say so. I mean, he's close with all of them, mm-hmm. but it seems like Lisa Kudrow did the intro to his book. He's very close. Like, I think he thinks that she's the funniest woman on the planet. I mean, he literally says that in the yeah. book. So yeah, I, I would agree. And if somebody comes in and does your foreword for your memoir, like mm-hmm. that says so much. Yeah. So yeah, I really like that. It's, it's so, it's so well-written. It's so powerful, you guys, especially if you know anybody in recovery. So like for me, like personal connections for my life, you know, I have family and friends that are either in active recovery or have been in active addiction um, or are currently in active addiction Mm -hmm. some. And, you know, professionally too, I work in the recovery realm. And so a lot of the things that he talked about, like Suboxone, methadone, and like all of this stuff talking about withdrawal. And I I was just like, I totally understand all of this. But hearing his inner voice, it was like kind of so powerful. You're in you're in the mindset, you're in the mind of an addict, and you can tell. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I'm on the totally opposite side of you and where I'm reading this book and I don't have any connections. Like I really don't know anybody in my close personal life that's been to rehab that deals with addiction. Granted that I couldn't just not know about it, but addiction has not touched my life near at all. And I, I've, I feel like I'm pretty lucky in that respect, but, but reading through all of this to your point, I have no idea what he's talking about. Like the drug that you take to get off the drug, like oh, that's yeah. all brand new to me. It's interesting too. Cause I was thinking that I was like, you know, I wonder if somebody, because I'm, I, I work in this. And so a lot of the stuff he's talking about, I'm like, oh yeah, like that's second nature yeah. to me. Not knowing this stuff, like, do you feel like after reading this, like you kind of had a grasp on what he was saying? Like, did he explain it well enough, do you think, for people who don't understand it? I think so. And I think I've read a few things now on in the realm of addiction and just seeing it pop up more. But getting inside Matthew Perry's mindset and how he deals with addiction, it really not that I didn't have empathy before, but it really gives me a lot of empathy for how addicts function. And it's not just it's a it's a battle of wills, but it's so much more than that. It's like your mind is trying to kill you and you have to battle it every single day to not let that happen. Exactly. That's what's so powerful about this is that it really shows you it's not it, it, it is not always like a choice that they're like eh just decide I'm gonna get up and do just drugs don't today. drink like yeah just okay. don't drink oh sure but you know the other thing too is like this is not like something horrible 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 happened to him I mean there are a mm-hmm. lot of people that addictions do start from a serious traumatic event right um 
But there's also people that have a serious traumatic event and they don't become addicts, right? Right. So with him though, it, it's like, there's so many different facets. This is what I picked up on is he has a family history of addiction. Addiction. His mm-hmm. dad's an alcoholic, right? So right there, he's already predisposed. I wouldn't say his dad was an alcoholic though. I think his dad had a drinking problem, but his dad mm-hmm. was unique and where he just, he, he sat down with his wife. He goes for a walk and literally says, I'm never going to have another job, drop of alcohol. Very interesting. Yeah. I think that there's, there can be a distinction. Right. Didn't he say his grandpa was also? I think his grandfather, like he definitely has alcoholism in his family. In his family. And his dad had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as to go to say like alcoholic, addict, Maybe I don't not so much. No, but but that's a good point too. If, and I've talked to a few people about this. It, like you see this a lot. Of course, I watch a, real, a lot of reality. Hmm. And I feel like sometimes people throw around the word, oh, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an at like, they just throw it around to get, to get away with poor behavior. Yeah. No, you just have a terrible reaction to alcohol. You're just an asshole when you drink. Right. That doesn't make you an alcoholic. Which is so dangerous to people who are actually alcoholics Mm -hmm. and do struggle like Matthew Perry did with this huge, big, terrible thing, this huge animal that is his own brain that he has to have to be able to live. It's, it's, dominating to everything he does the the quote that he put and the and i'm skipping to the end but he talks about robert downey jr yes and his issue and like what it's like to be an alcoholic is every day waking up with you holding a gun in your mouth with your finger on the trigger and loving the taste of metal that was such that a was crazy powerful powerful statement and i totally agree mm-hmm. with robert downey jr and see exactly how an addict, someone in active recovery, someone in active addiction would feel like that's their constant state of being. It's so intense. Yeah, it's so intense. And I think that's what people don't see. Like you can't see alcoholism really, right? Like the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you- it, it's interesting too. He used alone. And that was his big mm-hmm. thing is he never wanted to be the guy that was just running amok. Like mm-hmm. that was not his thing. His honestly, from what I gather, it's like this whole thing is like it comes from this weird feeling of shame, you know, shame, embarrassment and all that. It's this horrible cycle he's he's in. But he never wanted to put that on an anybody else. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't know his brain, the way that if the way he thinks about things is so unique. It is. It is really unique. And like he, it's interesting because in one respects, he is an addict. He is suffering on a daily basis, but in other respects, he knows limits. Like he would never do meth. Like he will do anything up to meth, but meth right. is a no, no. He would never use or be high or be drunk during filming of friends Mm -hmm. like because friends was so important so it was interesting to see those boundaries that he set for himself that even though he think like even though his brain is trying to kill him every single day he's holding on to something Mm -hmm. to try and live yeah that really fascinated me because I was surprised because I thought what's going to come out in this book is that he was using at least pills when he was doing friends, but he was 
He wasn't. I mean, he was doing both at one time or the other, but he was never high or drunk on set. Yeah. And that, I I respect that a lot. You could tell, well, yeah, you could tell like season three was when he was like, what, 120 pounds. Yes, he talks about that. First time going to rehab. Yes. And I think between season three and four and- Very public- very much in the tabloids, you know, Matthew Perry's in rehab, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada, very intense. And so here he is for first time he's really grappling with his addiction and he's doing it on such a public way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you, if you look, it, it is literally like the clothes are hanging off of him. It he's is, like a hanger. Yeah. So let's go back and talk about his early childhood. Cause that's mm-hmm. how he opens up the book. And I really thought this was a fascinating Piece and I honestly did resonate a little bit because he comes from a d- divorced family. I come from a divorced family, mm-hmm. so he grows up in Canada in Ottawa. His parents are together; they're a beautiful couple. Yes, which he mentions a couple of times, and so you got to wonder how that affected him. Mm-hmm. His parents are very highfalutin, right? You got dad is the Old Spice guy. He right. Is- that was so fun. Oh my gosh. His dad did the Old Spice commercials. So interesting. Very handsome. So mm-hmm. yes, I, I agree with you, Matthew Perry. Your dad is very handsome. Mm-hmm. And then his mom is like right-hand man to Pierre Trudeau, who's prime mm-hmm. minister at the time. She's like a powerhouse professional woman. Huge, huge deal, right? She is like in the tabloids. Her name's everywhere. Yeah. So it's, you've got two parents who are in the limelight. So that had to give you some feelings of inadequacy because how are you ever going to compete with the attention dad gets from being old spice and (laughs) old spice, um, (laughs) old spice guy, the attention mom gets from prime minister. Not that it was, well, but that's, and that's what he talks about is they, they divorce his dad before he was old spice guy goes to California and tries to make it as an actor. And his mom picks up, starts working for Pierre Trudeau and she's a high power career woman. And he was like, he was a latchkey kid, essentially. Like Mm -hmm. he kind of had to take care of himself. That is kind of the start of his abandonment issues is his dad goes to California. His mom not leaves him for Justin or for Pierre Trudeau, but but kind of. Yeah. And And so he's now he's like vying for their attention. Yeah. Please pay attention to me, somebody. But they did what they had to do as parents as adults to live their own lives yeah because parents are people too parents are people too we're gonna put that on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt but yeah you know moms and he acknowledges you know my mom was a baby like yeah she was what like 20 she was young she was like 20 she was really young when they met yeah and so you know it was a baby raising a baby that was one of the things in the book is there's pictures in the book too as you get through the middle of him and his childhood and some family photos. And it's a picture of him and his mom and he's a baby and he's like baby holding a baby. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that is a big start of it. And what's interesting is there's kids out there that when they have abandonment issues, they act out in certain ways, right? You see destruction, you see aggressive behavior, yada, yada, yada. But what he did instead is he wanted them to laugh. He wanted to make them, he wanted the funny guy. He wanted to be the class clown. He wanted to be adored by everybody. Mm -hmm. And he talks about that all the way through the book of, almost like the laughter was almost like a drug for him. Like it was the first drug that he, because it kept him going. It filled him. And he was like, Oh, I can get attention. I can make people laugh. And he's naturally funny. Oh yeah. Like he in Canada, we talked about this on a previous episode, but 
that's where the Chandler voice was born with with his two friends in the backyard as 15 years old. The Murray brothers. Yeah. Yeah. The Murray brothers. And so also when he started drinking was what, 14 years old? Yep. Mm-hmm. He remember what he was like lying in the grass. Yep, been looking up at the sky, thinking this is what normal people must feel like. So it's like automatically first sip of alcohol, that's filling a void yep. of not wanting to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I feel normal. This is awesome. I feel loved. Yes. There's also yep. a lot of research around when you first use drugs, like what age you were, and oh, where really? your like emotional maturity gets stunted. So no way. I don't know that that's the same for alcohol. I think, yeah. that, but for like harder drugs, uh, you know, so I'm curious. I can't remember when he started first using oxys. I think that, well, that was later in his 20, 25, 26, because that mm. was, um, he, we'll, we'll get to it, but he fil- he was filming the whole nine yards. He had the jet ski accident. Yes. He had the neck injury and the doctor gave him oxy. Yes. And that was, I think he was probably 26. Okay. So not super young, really, mm-hmm. in the sense of maturity, but he's already developed a habit yeah. at that point. He's got a feeling he's chasing something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also what I've realized is addicts are continually chasing Because your the brain is thing. literally telling you it has to have yeah. it. Otherwise, You're it's, not good enough. Yeah. The The last thing on, on kind of his early childhood was this theme of unaccompanied minor. Oh. And I remember this, like back before 9-11, like you could go to the gate, you could say bye to everybody. They would just let kids fly from wherever. Their parents would drop them off. They fly by themselves with a flight attendant. Parent picks them up at the gate and there you go. And they're called unaccompanied minors. Yeah, there's a movie based around this. There is. Yeah, unaccompanied minors. It's. I don't think it's really that good, but you know. So yeah, there's this whole thing that was part of our culture and like I have cousins who were divorced or are divorced and they have two children and Mm -hmm. they live in different states and they had to do that but they had a lot of things around it like they couldn't now you can't be an unaccompanied minor if you're seven or Uh, below I don't think you can do that they do it still but it's like there's a lot of rules around it and you have like Mm -hmm. there's there's so many more well you got to figure out how to get yourself from security to the gate right and if you're seven do you know how to do that no no probably not yeah but yeah it's that i'm alone Mom's sending me off. Does dad even want me? Mm-hmm. Ooh, alcohol. This bottle of wine is really, it, I was, it was a bottle of wine, right? Mm-hmm. That he first had. I think it was like the, was it Boone's Farm or an equivalent to Boone's Farm or something like that? It was some remember. cheap. Yeah, it wine. wasn't even that good. No, 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 no. And then you got his buddies over there throwing up. Yeah. And- but he has this tolerance immediately. Yes. Which He's is crazy. Like, this is great. Yeah. There's so much, mm-hmm. so much to that. So. So he decides, you know, he grows up, he decides that he's going to go change and live with his dad in California. Mm-hmm. And he, in a sense, kind of un- abandons his mom. Mm-hmm. She, it was a very tense situation of like him leaving his grandparents, his mom, going to California. Yeah. But at the time, so he talks about this in the book too. So here, this is also crazy. He's so connected in so many I know. six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Uh, to different people. So his mom married Keith Morrison, who is, yes. uh, oh, it's not Nightline, but it's uh, Dateline. 
And so they, and they have three children together. Mm -hmm. So here he is basically on the outs because he's not really part of this family. And Keith isn't really his dad. So it's like, even though it's like he was a great stepdad. Oh yeah. He, he has nothing but good things to say about him. Mm -hmm. So it's just sad because it's like, no matter where he goes, he doesn't fit. Yeah. And even like he, he has so, I didn't realize he had so many brothers and sisters. I think he yeah. had, what, five brothers and sisters? Yeah, so he's got the three from Keith and his mom, and mm-hmm. then his dad remarried, mm-hmm. and he really has a lot of great things to say about his stepmom that mm-hmm. his dad remarried, and I think that they have two or three. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. at least more sisters um, than brothers, mm-hmm. I think. So, but so he goes to California and he's like, let me give this acting thing a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he got a little role like he was in a restaurant and some producer or somebody saw him and was like, hey, you want to be in a in a TV series? And I think that's when he met River Phoenix, right? They go to Chicago. Yes. And- Which here we are again, these weird connections, because mm-hmm. if you don't know who River Phoenix is, he's Joaquin Phoenix's brother yeah. and he died of a drug overdose. Yeah. I thought, side note, I thought it was, it's, I don't know if funny is the right word, but like he does not like Keanu Reeves. And I think he blames Keanu Reeves for River Phoenix. Dude, I had no idea how much he hates Keanu Reeves. He just he just takes shots at him the whole book and trolls Keanu Reeves. Like, how does a beautiful human like River Phoenix not get to be here, but Keanu Reeves still walks the earth? Like, he will literally say stuff like that. And it's like, I mean, at least he says it. You know, some people walk around like they don't say bad, like they don't talk bad about anybody and they don't gossip. And it's like, they're just least to say it. I mean, he's he's pretty ruthless and he's throwing shade. And so I know I do like uh, Keanu Reeves. I, I think he's great. I absolutely adore Keanu Reeves. So I don't agree with Matthew. Perry, I know, but it kind of hurts my heart. Like Matthew Perry, why do you hate Keanu Reeves so much? Matthew Perry has every right to feel the way he does. You do you, boo. But I disagree. <laughs> and and it, maybe that's just an one addict trying to hindsight protect another addict. You know? Yeah. I mean. That makes total sense. Yeah. So, but his real kind of break, so to speak, came from a show, Second Chance. Yes. That yeah. That was the big one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that kind of propelled him a little bit to more doing more auditions, getting more things. Um, it was interesting. So he would, it was him. There was like three of them, th- three friends talking mm-hmm. about, again, connections in Hollywood. Him, Hank Azaria, um, Craig Birko mm-hmm. and then David Pressman. So there's four of them. Sorry. Yep. So he, Craig Birko was like, he thought he was so funny. And yes. I've never seen Craig Birko in anything. Is Craig Birko, he is not the 90210 guy. I don't no. know. But I, this in, uh, excerpt from the book, like he he's like, I thought my fat mind was fast, but no, it was Craig Birko. And then he talks about Hank Azaria and how Hank Azaria, like, was the richest one of them in the group because by that time Hank Azaria was doing the Simpsons. And so, and then you've oh, got yeah. David Pressman who was just kind of like your journeyman actor, but interesting, like they've got this core group. They would, they would meet at the Formosa, which we looked it up. It looks so cute. It does. It's like an Asian fusion restaurant. And it's like, it looks like you would think like old California, like old Hollywood, not dive, but like, meetup where dinery diner like but a, not like a like a 50s diner like nighttime diner it's got like red 
patent leather booths yeah. with like dark, dark wallpaper and like the green on the bar and like, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it, look it up, you guys. It, it actually looks really cool. So the funny thing with Craig Bierko, if you guys heard of our other podcast, is Craig Bierko was actually offered the role of Chandler in Friends. And Craig ha- was offered two roles. It was in Best Friends. He was going to be the leading guy and he was the solo leading guy. Yep. And then Friends Like Us, which was the script that was going around that everyone was crazy about and like knew it was going to be a hit show. Um, Matthew Perry could not get an audition because he was tied to the baggage handler show, which we talked about in a previous episode. Thank God that (laughs) didn't happen, my Lord. And so just Craig Bierko chose the best friends and then Matthew Perry goes, he reads the script. He's like, I didn't even bring the script because I knew it so well. Usually you bring the script as a sign of respect to the writers, which was if I liked all the behind the scenes, like like Hollywood stuff. I didn't know any of that and just kind of knowing... I mean, I don't know that this is how it is anymore because, reminder, this is like 1994, right? Right. So I don't really know how it is these days, especially with like technology and Zoom and whatever. But it's interesting, like all the little nuances of if you don't bring it, then it's kind of like a fuck you to Mm -hmm. the producers. Like, oh, I don't really need this. Mm -hmm. And but so he took a risk not bringing it, but he had read it so many times. Like he knew it by heart. Yeah. So. He he gets the show and I thought this was interesting. Before he got before he got the show, he made a deal with God and he was struggling. He was missing like 50% of his auditions. He was like not doing well. And mm-hmm. he was like literally like God, he was drinking, right? Drinking, not doing well. He's like God, you can do anything to me as long as you made make me famous. Yes. And he was chasing fame and he 100% acknowledges, I was in it for the fame. I wanted to be famous. Right. Here we are central theme chasing something yep they want to be famous filling that void he thinks that this is going to be the answer if i'm famous then everything will be okay fame is going to give you that warm hug that your mom wasn't able to give you because she was away with pierre trudeau yes exactly but then he turns it down which is crazy like what in that moment wait who turns it down craig bierko no i'm talking about matthew perry oh i know Sorry. Oh, my mind's going back to the. We're back to Craig Bierko. I like in that moment. But he turned it down. What I would love to know from Craig Bierko, like what possessed him, like that was like the universe looking at Matthew Perry and being like, "All right, dude, like we got you." It was his deal with God. I think. I think it has to do with the fact that Friends Like Us was an ensemble show. Yeah, and he was going to be the leading guy on the other one. It's just crazy to think like if that hadn't happened, mm-hmm. Matthew Perry probably would have been kind of doing the same thing for many, many years. And not Matthew Perry wouldn't be here. I, I he, would cr- agree. he he accredits the show with like saving his life. I would agree with that. He would yeah. not. He would not be here. He would be a Heath Ledger. Oh God. No. R.I.P. Yes, gone too soon. Yeah, but him and Craig, they had a they had a falling out. I mean. I think Craig just wouldn't talk to him. I think he was super resentful after seeing the success of Friends. Which is sad because the only person he has to blame is himself. And he, he says that, right? They reconnect and he's like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, it was too painful to see. I get it. That's nice. Yeah. That, like he does go through that whole relationship and talks about it, like their whole reconciliation, which is pretty crazy, but it is mm-hmm. nice to kind of hear that. So we're at Friends now. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, it's a huge thing. It blows up. Yeah. We talked about how he had a crush on Jennifer Aniston before and he like 
went almost the whole series like trying to get over the crush. Pretty much. I think, so there's a point where she's the one that confronts him. Yes. And God, if I didn't love Jen Aniston, I love her even more now. Like, holy crap. The guts it had to take to confront your friend and be like, you are not okay. This is not okay. And she's like, we know you're drinking. And he, the we, like, know you're drinking. Just like, he knows that she's confronting him on behalf of everybody else. Yes. Like, that is so powerful. Like, Mm -hmm. of course it had to be her is like his whole thinking. Of course it's her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was an amazing thing to do for a friend because I think that that temporarily got him back on the horse and yeah I think I think again it's a little fuzzy of the timeline but I think he goes back to rehab because like even though he wouldn't drink or get high he there's a point where he would maybe fall asleep like that one time he fell asleep on the couch and right before his line Matt LeBlanc nudges him awake and he gets the line out and so like he's just getting by yes and but they like could smell it on him like he oh, may yeah. not be high, he might not be drunk, but he's hung over and you can smell it. Yeah, which is terrible and unprofessional and everybody mm-hmm. and everybody relies on everybody else in this show. Like you mm-hmm. can't write out Chandler. No. So let's get it together. Yeah. But yeah, I mean the fact that everybody came together to be there for Matthew Perry is pretty profound. And there's one point in the book which kind of made me sad. He's like I don't really think anybody, uh, like any of them will read this book, but if they do, and I'm like, I would hope that if I wrote, like if I were Matthew Perry, I would hope that they would, if those are some of your closest friends that had such a huge part of your life. Yeah. Like at the HBO series, they're like, whenever, after the show, whenever they would bump into each other, they would see each other. That was it for the end of the night. They were just talking the rest of the night, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just thought that was the sweetest thing. I Okay, I remember one of our episodes back, I was struggling on like whose season was what. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, I found it. So it was, he, he talks about like when everybody had their like famous season. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we said David Schwimmers was the first season. Yep. Season two was Lisa Kudrow. Mm-hmm. Season five and six were Courtney um, and Matthew Perry. Okay. And that's like when they're getting married, they're engaged, getting married, which he's in rehab when the episode airs that they're getting married, which is crazy to think. He was driven from rehab to shoot friends Mm -hmm. and then would get driven back to rehab. Mm -hmm. And I made this realization before we started recording just now, but he talks a lot about his issues with smoking because ah. nicotine is just another addiction. You know, you can be addicted it to is. anything. But his issues with being able to quit smoking and a lot of rehabs actually don't allow you to smoke. Right. Because so, it's nicotine. It's not. Yeah. But my whole theory is like, okay, you don't want me to smoke, but you also don't want me to do this harder drug. Like, can we just choose like harm reduction here? Mm-hmm. Like lesser of two evils. Yeah. <laughs> so he, but he smokes in that episode and I was like, oh, I wonder. He does. I wonder he if does. that was his like way of, of getting it through the episode. <laughs> right. So he, then Jen, Jennifer Aniston was season seven and eight. Totally see that. Yeah. And Matt LeBlanc was nine and 10. And you could tell they were, they were, Joey was really catching on those later seasons. Like they were 
toying with Jennifer Aniston and Matt Blanc, Rachel and Joey relationship. And then the Joey spinoff. Do you remember the Joey spinoff? I do. And it was, it was just not, it it just was not good. You guys. Yeah. But as we said, Matt LeBlanc was the most improved friend. And I thought that was really sweet. It is sweet. Yeah. They, he talked about some of them won Emmys for seasons. Um, and his, his season, the only season he was nominated was season nine. Mm-hmm. And that was when he was like totally sober. Yep. He's like, he said, it. I listened. Mm-hmm. I didn't just wait for my turn to speak. Oh. And so it was really sweet to see like that was his best season from his eyes. Yeah. And you said he got nominated for an Emmy that season. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. his. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's so much that goes into that. It's like, obviously, if you're doing the right things like look at what happens when you're sober and you're listening and you're doing all of these things Matthew Perry but yeah Mm -hmm. I mean addiction is a is a monster and it's interesting because friends brought him so much money and fame Mm. and he talks a lot about how that was all he wanted and like he always wanted a house with a view and I thought this was really sweet because at the end of the book he ties this back like no matter where he is he would just buy a house for the hell of it just because it had a good view yep there's always that view of looking down as an unaccompanied minor mm-hmm. thinking maybe this is it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, sweet. It was a good tie back in sad, but so it's just Matthew Perry's story. Yeah. It's just so much about him, but yeah. Um, at some point this was funny. He talks about the Chandler voice mm-hmm. and how that he, he has a conversation. I can't remember if it's with like, Marta Kaufman, David Crane, and Kevin Bright, if he has a conversation with them. But he did end up saying, I lost that at some point because on purpose. Yeah. Because I I wanted to move forward. And I feel like that's such a, I don't know, that's like a narrative on like, okay, well, we're trying to let go of all of these pieces of me and this character I've created who people think I am. Mm -hmm. And he's still trying to figure out who he is and in his, what, how is, old is he now? 57? 58? Yeah. Something like that. And yeah. it's like, he let it go. Cause he, he, someone, he's like, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. You don't, that doesn't make you funny. And yeah. I think he realized that, that like, Oh, I can let myself show through a little bit more. Yeah. And so I'm going to pay attention to that now too, because mm-hmm. if I think about later seasons, I, I think about, the way he says things, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't even think about it. Like I, mm-hmm. but I still love Chandler. Oh yeah, like those voice didn't mean anything to me. It's funny, but yeah, it's that's all. not also why you love him. Like he has great timing. Yeah. He is such a gr- he's he grows so much, and it's interesting because he talks about how like the series ended in 2004, and like it was meant to end. Like their stories. There was no more runway. The stories had told themselves. There was really nowhere to go without like doing that stupid Hollywood thing that I hate of like breaking it all up and making it all sad. A lot like sex in the city reboot, like trash. I hate when they do that. Me too. So, and he said, he's like, we knew like there was no more story to tell. It should be done. Yes. Like we do not need to go on, but that Chandler grew as a human more than Matthew Perry did like Chandler goes, grows up, he gets married, he has kids. Matthew Perry is still like having sex with as many women as he can. Yep. Can't, can't get past like his intimacy issues, like major intimacy issues. Yep. 
like, it's interesting that like Chandler grew more as an adult into a fully formed adult. It, it, it goes so much to just like the root of Matthew Perry's issues is what he calls out the abandonment and feeling less than, and where does that come from? Like, it's interesting too. I, I wonder so much, like he's been to so many rehabs and he's done yeah. so much therapy and all this. And there are some things he talks about that have really worked for him. He actually talks about a hypnotherapist. Yes. That's the got him to stop smoking. Yeah. Really fascinating. I thought that that was amazing, mm-hmm. but it seems like Matthew Perry now, and I don't know when he stopped writing this book, but he's on the spiritual journey and mm-hmm. he's finding these other ways of being, these other things for himself. And it is never too late to try and make a change. I just hope that he finds something that sticks. Mm-hmm. What I fear is that for Matthew Perry, because he is Matthew Perry, he's always going to be able to, oh, well, I can just go to another rehab or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like he's been up and down so many times yeah, the book the book doesn't end with like oh I've been sober for ten years like no he his his colon burst like in COVID it's yes. it's recent it's not like he's like all end all be all and he says like the minute I say I'm recovered you know I'm not like he's relapsed right. there is a saying that we say and there is no finish line in yeah. re- in recovery mm-hmm. and if you say that there is then you are kidding yourself. Because recovery is something that somebody who is in active recovery will deal with the entirety of their life. Mm-hmm. And that is something that you have to accept as an, as somebody in, in recovery. And so I hope for him that he continues to work and, and does he, he is such a great voice for it too. And I think that that's the thing that he also talks about is he started a sober living home. He went and spoke. Yeah. He did. He's he was, very passionate about helping others. Yes. I just wish he was as passionate about helping others as he was about himself. But that's, I think, some of the, like, we are our own harshest critics. We are horrible to ourselves. And, like, I, I do think, I thought it was really sweet and how he was, like, my purpose is here to help other people. Like, I think he thought his purpose was to make people laugh, but he realized that that's not exactly what he was supposed to do. He's there to, like, save other people and help them through their addiction. And maybe it was that that does help people for a period of right. time. But it's so much bigger than just making people laugh and be yeah. happy in a moment. So, yeah, it, you guys, this is a really, really powerful book. It's it's really great. And it is it's funny. It is funny. You He's so funny. And, like, he's it's funny and heartbreaking at the same time. And I think it's really interesting. Like you said, there is no finish line. People just want to put, like, things in a nice box and think that, okay you got past your problem it doesn't exist anymore like okay just be happy like that's so patronizing to tell someone to just be happy like why don't you just be so like it's so patronizing and like Mm -hmm. when you look at him the heartbreaking aspect is like when he talks about how he truly does want a family and kids oh god that comes out so clear in this book he and i think a lot of people do this i know i do is like there's so many big milestones in your life that are marked by relationships Mm -hmm. and so he talks so much about like the big relationships that matter to Mm -hmm. him and 
the missed opportunities that he had and where would he be now? There's one that breaks my heart a little bit. He talks about Jamie Tarsus. Yeah. So Jamie Tarsus was an NBC executive Mm -hmm. and they dated for, I can't remember how long, but like six years or so. I mean, they they dated for a while. She's the one that brought him on to friend, like told him that like the baggage handler show wasn't going to get picked up. So like she gave his agents the heads up. Yeah. It was because of her that, his life changed mm-hmm. and then they ended up dating for a number of years. And then at one point she looked at him and said, you are disappearing. Mm-hmm. And that impacted him so much. And I think that that's when he first went to rehab. Yeah. Um, and sadly he talks so highly of her and so kindly throughout the entire book. And I looked her up. Oh, you did? I did. I was super curious about her and that's how I found out she was an executive. She actually passed away. In November of 2021. Oh, no. Um, I think it was from a stroke. It was very sudden, very out of the blue. And so I think a lot of his pain in here, talking about her is his grief. Yeah. Very he, sad. She she stuck by him for so long and like she gets him clean. And then he pulls out this BS stuff, like intimacy issues, pulls it out. Like I can't, I can't be, uh, I, I got to focus on my sobriety but what that really meant was like, I look great. I feel great. No, I'm going to go sleep with as many women as I can. Yep. And I think he really feels bad. And like he says, like he, he envisions himself coming downstairs. His beautiful wife is cooking. His kids are running around. And like that breaks my heart to think that like he can't get past his own issues because he really is at the heart. Like he wants a family and that I really hope he finds that someday. I do too. That I- makes me so sad to like think that he could never would never have that like I really hope he gets that I think for him and this is what I hope for him is that this was like so cathartic in telling his story because mm-hmm. I look he's been in AANA he's done so many speaking engagements I guarantee he's told the story right but to do it on such a mass scale like this to people that may not be going to those events this is such a big deal for him. And so I hope that this was so cathartic that this releases a bit of that monster mm-hmm. and he is able to find that. Oh, side note, that's really interesting. Um, I won't tell you guys the whole story, but if you want to read it, he does talk about his relationship with Julia Roberts. That was such a good part. Oh my gosh. Super and I love that episode that she was in. Oh, okay. So that's the thing is I had no idea that they were dating at mm-hmm. the time of the episode. Mm-hmm. I had actually forgotten that they were dating at all at one point. So yeah, it's really funny. And their courtship over facts that just oh. speaks so such to the times. So funny. All right. Literally only courtship over facts. <laughs> like if you guys have a chance to read the book, I... I really think it's a good because we can't cover everything. Like there's still so much like post friends that we haven't talked about. Like Mr. Sunshine, he does a really popular play in London, tries to bring it to the States. It's way too raunchy for the, ooh, prudish States, you know, and like he tries to get away from Chandler because he was typecast and like there's so much, there's so much in here. Oh yeah. You guys got to read it. I highly, highly recommend. I think, can we put a button on this? There's one quote that I have that like I highlighted in the book and like it, it, I think we talked about how like your brain is trying to kill you. He says, I had a monster in my brain, a monster who wanted to get me alone and convince me to have that first drink or pill. And then that monster would engulf me. So it's just like, it's so scary to, to think that he's feeling that way every day, every day, Matthew Perry, I'm sending you so much love and respect Mm -hmm. for all the things that you have shared I thank you for Chandler. We love him. 
mm-hmm. and I wish you the best. And can I we, oh, go ahead. Can we talk about the ending when he's like looking out on on the beach on oh. his porch? Did you just not want to like ball your eyes out? Oh no, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I cried. Like I had a singular tear that lovingly fell from my from my eyeball. But it, you can see it. It's so visceral, you guys. The way he describes it, it's just like you you see it in your brain. Yeah, exactly what he's describing, and it's. He's reflecting over his whole life and he's just talking about the beauty that he sees. And I think he is really hopeful for his future, Yeah, which is really sweet. I like it. You have to have hope because if you don't have hope, then you really are lost. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. oh man. Yeah. Guys, go, please go read it. And if you read it and there's other things that like nuggets of friends stuff, especially that we missed, you know email us at don't take my wind at gmail.com. Yeah. We couldn't cover everything, but that those are the high points. Yes. I mean, I'm so glad that we, that we read it and um, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed our little book review. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, we will be back. I think we've got another episode coming out Wednesday back to our regular schedule. Yes. Thanks for joining us on this little extra, extra little tidbit this week. And we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks you guys. Bye. Bye.